Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. We're back on Brew of Blue. Um, it is Wednesday. Hope everybody's doing okay. I uh, apologize for there was no video yesterday for the, the first time in a while. Um, Hannah Farrell was meant to be coming on, but unfortunately she's not very well. So get well soon, Hannah. She's going to come on week um sure it'll be worth the waste uh, so it's great company uh but i'd like to say join me today on wednesday is paul mcpartland paul thanks very much for for coming on how, how are you doing you okay yeah well fine mass how about yourself not too bad mate not too bad we were just saying there before we hit record it's a case of sort of getting used to it all now sort of getting into daily routines uh, we've got these videos in the morning you know we make make tea at lunchtime so it's ready for the night time <laughs> uh just just try, just try and extend the jobs we've got throughout the day really what about yourself yeah i mean i think everyone's finding their own routine uh, at the moment to try and get, get them through the day uh, I, said, I said my son's home from university at the moment so we don't see him till two or three in the afternoon so that, that gives me and my wife a bit of space for our own in the morning uh and then you know uh, in terms of getting through the day, I mean, I'm reading lots of football books at the moment, like I'm sure most people are. Uh, I've just read uh, Rob Sawyer's book about Roy Vernon, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, about Gavin Buckland's book about Money Can't Buy Me Love. Uh, so, yeah, enjoying the reading at the moment. Catching up with various things on the TV. Uh, I actually enjoyed watching the English game on Netflix. I don't know if you caught up with that at all. Still not seen that yet. It's on my list of things to get onto, yeah. But, it's, I mean, for people who've not, not heard of it or not seen it, what's it about? Well, basically, it's about the rise of professional football, uh, particularly in the northern mill towns, particularly like some Blackburn and Darwin, how they were the first sort of clubs to start pay, paying professionals. But it was all under the counter payments. I mean, probably not much has changed in modern football in that respect. And uh, so 
It's about the clash between the amateur code, the ethics of all the old public schools like the Wanderers, uh, the old Etonians, the Carthusians, clubs like this who dominated football, who wanted to keep football as a preserve of the upper stoke middle classes, whereas the sport's huge popularity in, in the northern mill towns uh, meant you know, there was a change coming and the modern version of football, you, you could argue, is due to the fact that the, the working class background of the game, the working class support and the introduction of professionalism changed the game forever. That's, I mean, it sounds really interesting. I mean, <clears throat> you sort of sat there watching that and thinking it's, you know, I know, you know, you said there, it was sort of like the catalyst and, and like the blueprint for the modern game, but you must watch it, you know, I'm not seeing it myself yet and think it's so far removed from what we see now. Oh, undoubtedly, Matt, and, and you know, <clears throat> you have to accept the fact that it's faction, so it's not 100% accurate, so yeah. there's a, yeah. There's a team called Blackburn who ended up winning the cup, but the actual team that won it was Blackburn Olympic, and and the, and the year afterwards was Blackburn Rovers. So I think uh, Julian Fellows, thing who produced it, has gone for halfway house combining the two teams. But a lot of this is based on history, and um, the social background to it's really good as well. And I think what most Blues would enjoy about it most is the fact that Everton get mentioned, the Liverpool don't. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. It's uh, always nice when that happens. But, you know, I was, I was going to speak to you about your, your love of football history because, you know, I was, I was sort of perusing your, your Twitter timeline before and, and the amount of articles that, you know, have been shared by yourself that, that you've written and, you know, articles that you've shared from, from these football times is, you know, they're always worth a read. There's always something interesting there, something something good for everybody to get involved in. And uh, during this this lockdown and, you know, not having, you know, the, the current football going on, have you found yourself delving or going more down in that football history rabbit hole, or have you found it difficult to sw- easy to switch off from it all? Uh, it, it's a long rabbit hole, I have to say, Matt. <laughs> but once you start going into it, you, there, there doesn't appear to be any way out, and you just find yourself getting distracted by you know, the most curious bits of football trivia and exploring them and reading about them a lot more. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've always been massively interested in football history, e- even since I was a kid. You know, people at school used to avoid me to get the conversations with me. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> but I, I've always kept that interest going strong and I always find the history of football fascinating. And uh, I think people underestimate the part that football's played in social history as well. I mean, from time to time, I'll, I'll, I'll pounce on somebody in an unsuspecting mood and dig out some Everson poems in the 1960s. And you look at the adverts and say things like, look at this, the advertising for workers at Ford, you can just go down to Ford and get a job. It was different for your generation. We just can't do that now. So <clears throat> in terms of social insight, social history, the things you find out and the things you recover are just absolutely fascinating. Is, is there a particular, aside from Everton, obviously, is there a particular part of the football history that you, you're interested in? Because, you know, I've seen articles that you've, you've done in the past, you know, one of your most recent one on, on these football times is in regards to Dennis Law's uh, season at Torino. Uh, you've done stuff about Barcelona in the past as well. You've done stuff on, on Borussia Dortmund. I mean, is, is there any particular aspect? I mean, I mean, those articles would indicate that you're, you're really interested in European football history. But is there a country or a team in particular that you've got a particular soft spot for, aside from the Toffees? <laughs> well, I think there'd be two answers to that matter. I've always had a soft spot for Spanish football. Uh, I, I did a place in, in Madrid in 1975 uh, and you know, really got into you know, watching football there. Went to Real Madrid. I saw Atletico play the Intercontinental as a cup final against Independiente from Argentina. So they were kind of experiences that stuck with me. So I've always been fascinated by Spanish football because of that. Uh, in terms of English football, 
always had a soft spot for Chelsea South in the 1960s. I think it just oozed glamour and mm. they, they had the certain sort of image about them that Everson maybe in the North didn't quite have. Uh, as a teenage boy, you'd be reading these stories about, you know, Raquel Welsh turning up to watch Peter Osgood play, think, wow, you know, that's a life that I could never even <laughs> hope to, to come close to, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to come back to the Spanish football in a bit, but, but interesting what you said about that that Chelsea side there and how they were perceived. And I remember speaking to Gav about this, Gav, Gav Buckland, on one of the, yeah. the shows we did last year in regards to his book and how and how Everton were perceived. And I think one of the, the interesting points that, that he makes in that is that Everton, despite being a you know, really good side in the 1960s, having some f- fantastic players, some players who were part of that, that England 1966 World Cup winning side, they were never really taken to by the media in the same way as a London club would or, or the same way as that, that Chelsea side was. And, it sort of feels that that, that perception of, of Everton and, and what they're about and the style of football they play are sort of stuck through from then up, up until the, the modern day now. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. From Gavin Mass, uh, I mean, from my perspective, I, I think that the, the kind of the um, Everton's image suffered in sort of 62, 63 because when they won the league title, so kind of backed by John Moore's you know, financial backing, there was a real negative perception about how Everton had won the league in the press. You know, we were we were given the derogatory term the Mersey Millionaires. Uh, accusations were made that we bought the title almost as if it was not in the spirit of the game. In some ways, you could argue Everton were, the, were, were the, at the forefront of the way football was changing post the maximum wage being lifted, where transfer fees would become an increasingly important part of the game. And maybe if Everton won that title a few years later, they wouldn't suffer from that negative publicity. But I think the Mersey Millionaires time really hung over I think we also kind of suffered slightly from the Tony K bribery thing as well that yeah. that kind of attached itself to the club ever since fans in the 60s I'm sure Gavin would support this really had a bad reputation because the 1960s in my view was the first time when away support became a thing because prior to say 1960 most working class people worked Saturday morning so you couldn't really get to away games particularly yeah. down in the south and midlands but with more people having cars, away support became much a much bigger thing. With not working on the Saturday, away support became a thing. Cheaper rail travel for football matches sort of kicked in as well. So ever since fo- uh, fans got a bit of a reputation being a bit unruly and a bit uncouth, and you know, basically I think they're being criticised for not being southern. I think the London press found their fanaticism quite quite hard to handle. And if you have, there's a book. Um, by John Monaghan, I think, called The Soccer Syndrome. It's one of the acknowledged books in the 1960s, and it's a really good book. But his chapter about Everton supporters, it's almost libelous, some of the things he says about how how vicious and violent they are and how seriously they take the game. So I think we never quite... I, th- I think because of that, in the 1960s, we didn't quite get the credit we deserved. And when you look back to that team that won the title in the 6970, you know, that midfield of Kendall, Ball, Harvey... Is arguably you know one of the best midfield, one of the best all English midfield lineups that any any team could could lay claim to, and uh, I think part of the problem with the '67, so '670 winning the league is that it came the season that the World Cup was taking place in Mexico, and, and maybe we lost something because of that I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, where where do you think that? Well, I don't know, you know, where that that reputation came from. Regards to the supporters in the sixties, was it just a case of these lads go and watch the team in all, in all parts of the country? Was it that? Well, I think I think you know, Liverpool in the early sixties, and there's, there's lots of sort of kind of a books and and documents about this. Was a city that that was really on the up. Um, 
I don't if you, if you ever watch talking pictures TV, they do reruns of Lon- of Sunday nights, the London Plague from the sixties, mm-hmm. and the, there's one. There's one show there being hosted by Jimmy Tarbuck, and there's a comedian from the 1960s called Arthur Haynes, and he has his little sketch where all he does is say, uh, my daughter can't get on TV because she's not from Liverpool. My girlfriend can't get on TV because she's not from Liverpool. My dad can't get get on TV because she's not from Liverpool. You've got to be from Liverpool to get on TV. So in the early 60s, Liverpool's reputation worldwide had really taken off. And I think it combined with uh, national service had come to an end, you know, lots of people in Liverpool, the docks were earning quite good money. Ford's yeah. was really taking on employees at, at their company in Hellwood. So you had the combination of more leisure time, more money, and also, you know, uh, people who, the age of deference was starting to change as well when your elders and betters, you know, people started saying, hang on, no, that, that, that's, uh, I'm not going to put up with that. That's not right. So I think they all kind of combined to create this image of, you know, unruly football supporters who, I mean, football supposed to generally be portrayed in the press before then. Uh, no, all these people wearing rosettes, waving their rattles, their cloth caps, going to games in suits. And, and uh, you could argue that both Everton and Liverpool fans may, may play the role in changing that image. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's fascinating, that, about the, the anecdotes about people not being able to get on television because they're not from Liverpool, whereas now in, in the national media and, you know, BBC and ITV and on all those major news channels, it, you know, you very rarely hear a, a Scouse accent at all. You yeah, know, it's... it's you very, I mean, there's, there's no Scouse newsreaders, there's no Scouse people on, on, you know, national radio or anything like that. And even those who are from, from the area, you sort of get the sense that that, that twang and that, you know, that, that maybe rawness and that edge to, to the voice is sort of coached out of them all. So it's it's so strange that, that used to be the case. Well, it's just because you, you read stories of, say, uh, say, bands like the Hollies from Manchester in the 1960s, and when they were trying to break through, they would have to put on Scouse accents to try and get gigs at clubs in London. And uh, it, it's... I always remember one story. Uh, me, me, me and a couple of friends went to San Diego in 1979, and uh, you, you can't forget how the Liverpool accent is viewed outside the country sometimes. And when this in, in a restaurant in San Diego, the four of us, and we were just all talking away, you know, uh, we're all in our twenties. And as we, as the evening continued, we noticed that the restaurant was getting quieter and quieter, and people were starting to stand by our table, just standing by us and listening to us. And after about half an hour, we had about twenty people standing around us, and we just said, <laughs> "What's going on here?" And the owner says, "Guys." Listen to you guys. It's like listening to the Beatles. It's like having John, Paul, George, and Ringo here in the restaurant. How do you guys do it? How do you talk like that? Oh wow, absolutely crazy the way that the way that was. But uh, just sort of going back to, to Spain there as well, Madrid. So you said you lived in Madrid for for, for nineteen seventy five. Was it was that just for a year? It, it, it was the best part of so, 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 uh, best part of nine months really, Matt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was I was 20 at the time. It was, it was part of the course. I was studying Spanish at the time, so I, I was kind of there during the last year of General Franco's reign. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was just a really really um, a really open eyes because I'd never really been away from 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 England before. Uh, there was a group of nine of us went out and did the placement there, and we went to watch Real, we went to watch Atletico, we watched lots of the games on <clears throat> on Spanish TV. Uh, so it was really, you know a really really uh, good experience and kind of developed a huge interest in Spanish football because of that. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think I think it was the last show we did actually before the lockdown. You were you were up at the tower and we were, we were downstairs and I came down to, to get you and you were you were chatting to some Atletico Madrid fans about how how to get up to Anfield or sort of taking a bath by it Spanish. But um I, I mean obviously Madrid is a city that there are some parallels to sort of draw between 
Liverpool and Everton, aren't you? You've got the you've got the one juggernaut in, in you know in the city that's had all this European success is you know is, is worldwide recognised, and I suppose you've got. This, you know the side, not 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 the lesser side, but the, the side that's not well known. They've got their own history and, and their own right, but are sort of dwarfed by the, those big rivals. I mean, what, what what was your take on on the football and culture in Madrid in that sense? And, and back in back when you were over there in 1975, was was it still the case in regards to Atletico sort of being Real's little brother? Yeah, I think it was, but <clears throat> at that time, I mean, Atletico had won the league the season before, 73-74. Uh, uh, so they'd won a 72-73, <clears throat> and they'd gone to the European Cup 73-74, where they lost to Bayern Munich uh, in, in a replay, I think it was. And uh, so they were on the up Atletico, but you, you could kind of sense the difference between the, how the clubs were viewed within the city, because... We lived in the city centre and we came across mainly uh, Real fans, as opposed to Atletico fans. But when we went to Atletico's ground, you know, uh, that part of Madrid at that time was quite a quite a scary area. You know, and, and you, you notice the difference in class and attitude of the Atletico fans compared to the Real fans. I mean, even then, Real were definitely more of the middle class team. They were definitely perceived as being General Franco's team, having General Franco's <clears throat> favour in, in in backing them. So from that point of view, Atletico always seemed, you know, uh, the 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 lesser of the two teams, which kind of made the times when they won the league and they won the Spanish Cup all that all that more enjoyable for them because it didn't happen that often. But in Spanish football in the seventies was kind of no team really was uh, a dominant force. You had the Barcelona side with Johan Neskens and Johan Cruyff, who who just signed, you know, uh, two years previously, who. The previous year had gone to Real Madrid and beaten them 5-0, mm. which is almost like the game that most Barcelona fans of my age you know, remember to this day, even though it, you know, there's very little footage of it available still, that, that kind of lived on the memory. And that was kind of the, the, the game that was kind of changing the balance of power because Barcelona in the 60s hadn't come close to touching Real in terms of winning the title. Yeah, I'm gonna show, I'm gonna show off my potentially terrible Spanish knowledge here, but doesn't he call that a manita in Spain when you beat someone by 5-0? <laughs> That's right, you do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you hold your hand up like that, and each finger represents a goal. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I remember, I think it's, I, I remember watching the game. It was, it was about three or four years ago now. It was quite, and Real got beat four 0 by Barca at the Bernabeu. Yeah. Uh, it, was when, it was when Benitez was the manager, and they just went, they just went and, and tore him to pieces. I remember PK got a chance. He was like through on goal, and somebody took the shot off his foot, and he, he missed, he missed it to make it five 0 and PK was like absolutely fuming. You would have thought it was nil nil because be- beating someone by five is, is such a big thing over there, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah, it, it is. Yeah, and I think uh, it happened as well in the so late eighties, early nineties when uh, Barcelona were winning five nil at the new Camp, and the TV camera flashed to the assistant coach on the on the bench, and he just held his hand up like that, and it was just calls on the TV camera. So it was, it was an iconic image of Barcelona scoring the five goals, and then it flashed to the crowd, and everyone's just standing there with their hands like that all around the stage, and, and it made absolutely brilliant. Great stuff. And ju- just finally on Madrid, have you got a soft spot for Atletico as, as an Evertonian in that regard, or <laughs> your loyalties elsewhere in Spain? No, definitely a soft Atletico, and uh, because yeah, you know, at the time in Madrid in 1975, you know there was such a, an anti, a general anti-Barcelona feeling both from the Real fans and Atletico fans. I've never quite bought into Barcelona the way lots of people have. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Moving on then, um, your kit, you've got a, a fair kit on today uh, for people for people who are listening to this. Uh, could you just explain what one it is? Uh, 
Yeah, I think it's from the 13-14 season. Uh, it was one of the Everson. I think Everson started to make that a third choice option uh, in the last sort of, uh, 10, 12 years or so. And uh, <clears throat> always quite liked the, the third choice option because uh, <clears throat> the Everson's second series, quite often, I, I just didn't like the colour, <clears throat> didn't like the design, but I, I, I always liked the third choice uh, shirts for their obviously value as well. I like this one as well. Uh, I, I like the Chang thing. And uh, I've told you my story about Changi, haven't I? No. I mean, what time to tell it? <laughs> okay, 15-16 season. Uh, uh, there was an, an, an adverse in the programme for a keep fit, fit course for, for, for males of a certain age. So uh, I kind of signed up for it. So about 28 of us uh, did the course. And uh, part of the sessions were led by Pat Van and Howe, which is absolutely brilliant from our oh, perspective. Good. You know, yeah, you know, that, that, I, I can say I played walking football, Pat Van and Howe. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'll, go some, I'll go some grave with that one. But I bet you used to uh, put slide tackles in, wasn't he, and stuff. And, oh, you know. yeah. Oh, you, 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 you didn't come out of a tackle, Pat Van and Howe. Well, you have to say. <laughs> and, <clears throat> and, uh, I mean, he, he looked great. He, he just looked so fit. Uh, you know, he, he had some brilliant stories to tell the golf from his time at Everton. But, <clears throat> but um, there's, there was like, there's like a post cabin at the back of the park stand, and uh, it's like a gym, which is which was used by the participants on this course. And one day we're told to get some equipment out from the back. We opened the door, and something fell out. It was Changi's head. He'd been decapitated. <laughs> We'd wonder what had happened to him, but he'd been in the store cupboard for two, three seasons now. And the poor guy, I mean, you know, you could almost say it was a curse on Everson. We, we decapitated our mascots and things, and it'll be the same since. <laughs> that must have been quite a shock when that fell out. My word. <laughs> oh, God, it was. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. One or two people were nearly in tears, so that's something to change. He <laughs> <laughs> was my favourite mascot. Oh, my word. We've never really had a mascot since then, have we? On like other clubs. Yeah. Was was were they all the other other mascots from the years gone by in there as well? Just, just chopped <laughs> off, you know. Well, I mean, the, the only one I can, I can recall before that was Dixie, and that that was a pretty bizarre choice of mascots, I have to I say. I remember I remember the bizarre Mr. Testicles one when they had that for one game. <clears throat> oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, I thought you wiped that one from my mind, Matt. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> And of course, when you think about it, you know, Everton won the first clubs have this traditional the toffee lady going round throwing sweets yeah. in the crowd, etc. You know, and uh, it's surprising that we haven't really gone on from that to develop an official club mascot like like many sides have. Yeah, DME, poor Changi. Oh, yeah, I mean, I'll put up nightmares about this tonight, you know. Oh, and, me too. I know some of the guys needed counselling afterwards. It was that traumatic of an experience. That was absolutely traumatic. <laughs> Paul, I really enjoyed that, mate. 20 minutes has absolutely flown by. Uh, your your football history knowledge is is ridiculous. Uh, I I envy it a lot. But uh, really, thanks for thanks very much for coming on and sharing some of those stories. Um, stay safe, mate, and hopefully catch up soon. Cheers, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. And uh, look after yourself. Take care of yourself, and we'll, we'll meet again physically soon, hopefully. Yeah. Oh oh oh, this summer with AC Pro and O'Reilly Auto Parts. Right now, get a $15 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card after mail-in rebate with the purchase of select AC Pro ready-to-use refrigerant products that include a hose and gauge. Beat the heat before you hit the road with AC Pro at your local O'Reilly Auto Parts store. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.